Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Two weeks ago, as I was getting ready ready for church, I heard on the news about the shooting in Buffalo, New York. Thankfully, the sermon I'd prepared for that morning asserted that God's vision of no more death and grief and pain, God's vision of every tear being wiped away, God's vision of all things being made new, God's vision will, despite current indicators, God's vision ultimately will be realized because God ultimately will not be hindered. So, given that sermon, I simply added references to the shooting in Buffalo. And then last Sunday was Youth Sunday, which was wonderful. Again, many thanks to our youth and their parents and to Susanna. And so today was my chance to try to address the racism of that racist attack on a neighborhood grocery store in New York. But then came a shooting at an elementary school in Texas. 19 children, two teachers. Church, these cowardly atrocities are coming with such rapidity that we are having to triage our tragedies. I mean, let's not forget that between the 10 dead in Buffalo and the 21 dead in Uvalde, there was another person killed in a racist attack on a Taiwanese church in California. We can't deal with each horrific event on its own horrific turn, and so they blur in this cumulative horror. And I worry that that adds additional cost. So today I'm stepping back to focus on the racism that played out in that Buffalo supermarket. Maybe someday I'll find words to speak into a culture that defies the second commandment in order to worship the second amendment. A nation that has elected a cadre of politicians who value the right to carry guns more than the right to live through a school day. Maybe someday I'll find those words. But today, we need to grapple with the racism that whites have practiced on this continent for more than 400 years, because it is unacceptable. And we are at risk of accepting the unacceptable. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's second reading comes from the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul has begun his missionary travels and is in the city of Philippi with his associate Silas. And at the point where our reading picks up, Paul and Silas are in serious trouble after an exorcism gets the locals all riled up. As you listen, try to hear the story in three segments. The initial violence and jailing, including Paul and Silas's way of dealing with that. 
and then the life-altering interactions between them and their jailer, and then Paul's on-edge reaction when the authorities change their tune the next day. This is Acts 16, and I'll start with verse 20. When the townspeople had brought Paul and Silas before the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and are causing our city trouble, advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, the jailer put Paul and Silas into the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds. And then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. When morning came, the magistrates sent the police saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported the message to Paul saying, The magistrates sent word to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul replied, They have beaten us in public condemned men who are Romans and have thrown us in prison and now are they going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So three segments to consider. First, the mob violence perpetrated by officials and townspeople leading to the incarceration, and then Paul and Silas's coping mechanism. And then I'll skip ahead to Paul's on-edge reaction when the authorities suddenly tell him he's free to go. And then we'll return to the part tucked in the middle where there are hopeful developments to ponder. First, if you try to select a single example of mob violence, against blacks in America, you face so broad a pool of options that you don't know where to start. Adding the component of the bloodied victims being thrown into jail hardly narrows it down 
though it does start bringing up stories we've heard of lynching victims held briefly in prison before the mob's final assault. But when you add the further component of singing, certain figures do come to mind. Dr. King sang in prison, John Lewis sang in prison, and then there's Fannie Lou Hamer. In June 1963, she, a gospel singer, and a few other civil rights workers were on a bus ride home, and they attempted to get some food at the bus station diner in Winona, Mississippi. Driven out by the violent crowd and arrested, they, like Paul and Silas, were stripped and brutally beaten. If you have a strong stomach, you can Google the details. I'll just note that Fannie Lou Hamer lost kidney function and the use of one eye. Her cellmate later recalled, I sat up all night with her applying cold towels and things to her face and hands, trying to get her fever down and to help some of the pain go away. And the only thing that got us through that was that we sang. We sang all night. That actual assault, which occurred during my lifetime, changes the way I hear today's biblical story. Paul and Silas aren't buddies crooning cheery tunes. They've been beaten and debased. Paul's letters actually reference this assault. Clearly it was a big deal. Singing songs to remind themselves of God's promises may be all that got Paul and Silas through that night in Philippi. Next morning, they're told to walk free. That brings to mind a story I heard on the Moth Radio Hour last month. A black musician narrated about being pulled over for no good reason. He and his bandmates are told to show their IDs, which they do, and then the officer asks to see the car's registration. When they open the glove compartment to oblige, an open box of bullets pours out of the glove compartment. And at this point, the storytelling musician explains that their band had been put on a hate list, so they had each felt the need to buy a handgun, legally registered and licensed, and they made a point of getting trained in gun safety. In fact, they'd been at the gun range that afternoon, and the box of bullets had just been tucked into the glove compartment. Needless to say, all that ammunition prompts the officer to yell, put your hands up, and he calls for backup. Soon the car is surrounded by law enforcement, guns drawn. The officer says to the musician, where's the gun? Mindful that any word might be his last, the musician explains that as prescribed by law, the gun is unloaded and stored in a locked box in the trunk. He's told to open the trunk. He does. He's told to open the locked box. He does. He's told to pick up his gun. He refuses. Pick up the gun. He refuses. Pick up the gun! The musician finally says, go ahead and take me to jail, but I am not touching my gun. Somehow that broke the tension. And they were sent on their way. And the musician concluded his performance on Moth Radio Hour with... That was when me doing everything I was supposed to could have gotten me killed. 
That racist paradox is the experience of black Americans. My friend and colleague and spiritual mentor, Melvin, is an African-American pastor who is strong and courageous, diligent and wise, salt of the earth and light to the world. And yet years ago, he told me that every morning, he knows he has to think about the color of his skin. Like that musician, he does everything he's supposed to do, but still has to think every morning about the color of his skin. Why? Because some of our fellow Americans see it as reason to kill him. That's unacceptable. And the impunity with which media figures, politicians, and other influencers are using white nationalist rhetoric that dehumanizes blacks and incites race-based violence is unacceptable. What are we to do as a people on the brink of accepting the unacceptable? Now is when we turn to that other segment of today's biblical story. The events there in the middle. Quick recap. An earthquake shakes the prisoners free. Knowing what happens to jailers whose prisoners escape, the jailer is about to take his own life but is stopped by Paul's assurance that all are still present. The jailer asks Paul and Silas what he must do to be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And they share the word of the Lord with the jailer so he'll know what that means. Apparently, he catches on right well because the jailer up and washes Paul and Silas's wounds. They baptize his entire family and he welcomes them into his home, serves them a meal, and everyone rejoices in the goodness of God. Church, that's what I want for us, for all of us. I've suggested this morning how modern America has mirrored the other two segments of this story, the ugly ones. How might we mirror this segment, this hopeful segment of transformation and mutuality and grace? Well, We've certainly experienced earth-shaking events. White vigilantes killing Ahmaud Arbery, a white man's knee killing George Floyd, ethnic disparities in pandemic outcomes from mortality to education to finance, and then the murders in Buffalo, New York. Church, will we accept the unacceptable? Or will we? like the jailer, take responsibility, help, get help, grow in the knowledge of God, and take action. That latter option, by the way, will require sensitivity and more humility than we always display. I remember a few years ago, another church where I was serving proposed to ask black members to share their experience of racism. And one of those black members, who always kept it real, said, Pastor, if one more little blonde stay-at-home soccer mom comes to me with tears in her eyes saying, I had no idea, I may throw up on her cute shoes. 
awkwardly processing that with my African-American music colleague, I then said, so I guess white people need to step to the side and do our own remedial work. And he said, the dominant culture must be receptive to, not exploitative of, those we've marginalized. Then we can hear from them the saving word of God. Beyond that, how might we wash their wounds? Wounds we helped inflict? What might that look like, church? And what might we, it look like to bring them into our house and give them our food? There's a pair of pastors in Atlanta, one white, one black. They served together at the same church. It did not go well. The white pastor, older man, thought he had all the answers. The younger black pastor thought he had some answers too. Eventually they went their separate ways, and a few years later, in Arkansas, that black pastor was looking into buying the ramshackle house that his grandparents had lived in when they were sharecroppers. Turns out that property is owned by that white pastor who gave it to him. No money, no strings, just seeing and recognizing the right thing to do and doing it. Church, it is possible not to accept the unacceptable. The racist fervor fueling cowardly crimes like that in Buffalo is deliberately generated and stoked. Every time prominent figures say stuff like, they will not replace us, the unacceptable grows. So, we have to join this jailer in asking, what must we do to be saved? And then we receive Paul's answers. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And then we immediately live out that belief by serving and loving and welcoming those who've been debased and abused and incarcerated. Like the jailer, we are to let God work through earth-shaking events to move us beyond accepting the unacceptable. Think and pray about it, but also take real action to change the structures that undergird entrenched racism. Pray, yes, let's just not get stuck on thoughts and prayers when there are wounds to be washed, wisdom to be gained, and the love of God to be shared. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.